has it been since you talked with the Lord and told Him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the night shone through? How long has it been? Since your mind felt at ease, how long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? How long? Has it been since you knelt by your bed and prayed to the Lord up in heaven? How long since you knew that He'd answer you and would keep you the long night through? Has it been since you woke with the dawn and felt that the day's worth the living? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? been since you knew that he cared for you thanks brother josh all right well i sounded like you're excited to be here tonight brother josh said you're excited to be here i heard a pretty good amen and uh, so I'm trusting that you're uh, looking forward to uh, the Word of God being opened this evening and uh, that the Lord is going to speak and meet with us. And uh, again, as pastors away, I appreciate the opportunity to stand before you and I trust that the message tonight will be a blessing. Uh, tonight we're going to do something a little different than I normally do. Um, one of my favorite styles of preaching to listen to is expository preaching. That's where you go verse by verse through something and explain what the verses mean. And so we're going to do a little bit of that this evening. And uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Titus and uh, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Now, Titus, uh, this is what is called uh, a pastoral epistle. And uh, it was an epistle, uh, a book of the Bible written to a pastor. Titus is taking care of the church that Paul started on one of his missionary journeys. And so here's uh, Titus trying to fill in for Paul. And uh, you, as you can imagine, that's probably some pretty big shoes to fill. And so Paul writes back to Titus, giving him some instruction about how he can train the church. And so what we're about to read this evening are instructions directly to the New Testament church. They're instructions directly to us. And although Paul wrote them to Titus, uh, the context here is their lessons for us to learn today. And so I think that's uh, pretty vital information to know, that what's coming up is specific to us. And, uh, and so we're going to look at this in Titus chapter 2, 
in verse number 1. The Bible says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Paul is speaking to Titus as a discipler. All right? Paul was the one who led Titus to the Lord. He's the one who started the church where Titus is at. And so Paul is teaching uh, Titus, Hey, these things uh, that I'm about to tell you, these are the things that are sound doctrine. In other words, these are critical. These are foundational to a Christian's life. And, and don't just glance over these, Titus. These are something important for your church to get. And so today, these are things that are important for us as the church to gather. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. It's important for us to note that Paul takes a personal interest not just in Titus, but in all the Christians there as a discipler. His goal was that his brothers and sisters in Christ would grow in their walk with God. And it ought to be every single one of our goals to grow in our walk with God and to help others grow in their walk for God. As, as our theme song says, in a mind to work is, uh, we will teach. We will teach. That means that we're just not going to sit back. And I thought it was a, a very profound point Brother Anchor made, how that knowledge just puffeth up. If we're constantly on the receiving end of all this preaching, on the receiving end of all this teaching, and we never give back, we never help anybody else, we become stuck up. Yes, we become puffed up. And that, that was such a tremendous truth that we need to be uh, constantly reminded of. I'm not just to sit in the pew of Community Baptist Temple. If I just sit in the pew, then I'm going to become a puffed up Christian. I have to allow God to use me as a funnel. He can work through me. And so I want to encourage you this evening, not just to learn the truths that Titus has for us here, but allow those truths to flow through you. Do as Paul did. Become a discipler. Find somebody that you can encourage. Find somebody that you can train. So Paul writes this letter to Titus, and, and right away he says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Then he begins to break down specific challenges to specific age groups. He says that the aged men. So I don't know what he means by aged men. All right, But I'm going to say 51 or above. So if you're 51 or above, stand with me tonight, would you? All right, 51 or above. No cheating. 51. Stephanie jumping the gun. 51 and you're a man. All right. Uh, 51, the aged men. All right. So if you're 51, oh, yeah, they need canes and walkers and men to help them up. That's okay. All right. So 51 and above. Here's the challenge to your age group. This is, this is what the Word of God says. It says in verse number 2, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. Let me break it down for you. Here's the instruction. This is what becomes sound doctrine. Know your Bible and live it. The aged men, know your Bible. I must say as a young man, it's kind of weak how I can look up to older men who have no idea what their Bible says. And I'm not, I don't say that out of pride. I say it out of concern. Concern that I never become that and concern that we ought to know our Bible. You ought to be an example for people to look up to. 
your family to look up to. How else are you going to lead if you don't know your Bible? And, and, and the challenge here is, age men, uh, to know your Bible and live it. He also says, hey, you know what? That you're to be temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. Uh, what he alludes to here is that you need to understand that your body is falling apart. You're getting older. All right, remember, these are sound doctrine. This is not me, okay? This is sound doctrine, all right? I'm, uh, you know, newsflash. Oh, <laughs> yeah, what next? <laughs> no, so the challenge tonight, he says, your, your body's falling apart. There's no excuse. You, you don't need to go nuts trying to pretend like you're a youth. He said, you, you're an aged man. It's time to be an example. It's time to train. It's time to exhort. It's time to know your Bible and to stick with it. He says that you're, you're to be sound in faith, in charity and patience. He says embrace the experiences that you have, the things that you've gone through in your life. You've been through a lot. You could teach a lot of the younger people. You could teach people like me what it means to go through trials. You know, you're going to look down at the young punks and he says, be patient. He says, to live in charity. You know what? what's one of the things that we think of when we think of an old man? And, and I mean that with all respect. You know, we think of grumpy. Grumpy. I know I'm not making any friends, but it's okay. Hey, grumpy, all right? He says, you get old and you get grumpy. He says, live in charity. Demonstrate love. He said, I, I, you know, the tendency is you start to feel your weakness. You start to feel your body falling apart. You see the stupid young people coming up behind you. And you say, the stinking idiots. You know, and you just want to just leave them and kick them to the curb. But he says, hey, aged men, listen. This is a challenge specific to your bracket, to your age group. He said, live in patience. Understand that you went through those things and probably acted just like them. And you had to learn, teach the next generation, teach the next ones. Be patient, be kind, be loving. Know your Bible and live it. All right, go ahead and sit down if you would. The next address here is to the aged women. (laughs) 51 and above. If you are a lady and 51 and above, would you stand this evening? Where's our 51 and aboves? All right. Nobody wants to admit it. They're above 50. All right. 51 and above are aged women. Here's, here's the instruction to the aged women. Titus chapter 2 verse 3. The aged women likewise, that they behave, that, um, they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. First of all, he says that they be in a behavior as becometh holiness. Set an example. This is a challenge, and, and it's interesting the things that he addresses to the lady, to the women here. He says, uh, set an example that your behavior becometh godly, uh, that your behavior becometh holiness. He, uh, he starts out the challenge to the lady saying, hey, watch what you're doing. People are looking at it. And I, I don't know what the, what the, you know, how profound this is. But it's specific to this age group. It's specific to you. He says, make sure that your behavior becometh holiness. He says, demonstrate your faith out of love for God, not out of 
any individual. You know what? It's, it's easy to um, become dependent on somebody the older you get. And he says, don't just become dependent on a man. Make sure that your dependency stays on God. That your walk with God is where it should be. That your holiness is where it should be. Don't become dependent on people. As you get older and things become more frail, make sure that your dependency is on God. He also reminds the aged women not to allow their tongues to get them into trouble. Don't be false accusers. Don't bring up things that aren't true. And, uh, and, and this is specific. And, you know, we say, oh, that's just, you know, a joke. People make fun of women. And no, this is a specific instruction to women. It must have been a problem in that time. And so it must be a problem for us to be mindful of today. Not to allow our tongues to, to cause strife. All right? He also says, stay off the bottle. <laughs> not given to much wine. And, and I, I was thinking about this. You know, why did he instruct the women? You know, was it common for the woman to be the drunkard? And, and I got to thinking about it. You know, I don't know what your problem is. Hopefully it isn't alcohol. All right. But what, why do people, I, I got to thinking about it. Why, why do people start to drink? Usually uh, stress, depression, worry. And it is, isn't it a problem, I, I, would, I would assume this, and for what I know in my short life, the experiences I've been taught um, from older ladies, is that as you get older as a lady, it, it becomes easier to worry. It becomes easier to fret and distress about things. As you look about your family, and it, they're all grown, and they're not in your house anymore, but you, know, you still worry, and the stresses are still very great. And I can imagine that one of the exhortations here, don't, don't, don't be given to much wine. By the way, that doesn't mean that you can take a little bit of wine. It's saying, don't drink, all right? It, that, that you are not going to solve your problems with alcohol. That's the exhortation here. You might have some worry, you might have some stress, but you're not going to find it in any kind of substitute here on earth. Look to God. Look to God. And then I find it interesting, not only did he open with, hey, Make sure that your, your behavior becometh godliness. But he closes with, be a teacher to the young girls. He opens and he closes with instructions to the ladies to make sure that you are teaching the next generation what it means to be holy, what it means to be godly. Make sure that they see your attitude being steadfast. Don't be up and down. Don't be an emotional roller coaster. Be faithful. Be consistent so that the young women can look up and say, you know what, it is possible for me to live my life this way. The way that God instructs me. It is possible for me to be consistent in my walk. I don't have to be up and down, up and down, up and down. All right? Be a teacher. So that's the exhortation to the aged women. You could be seated if you would. So the next exhortation would be to the young women. And if you're zero to 50, I'll have you stand. All right? Zero to 50. All right? And, and again, I don't know where these lines fall, all right? But, you know, you could be glad you're in the young woman category, I guess. Um, but, you know, so, so younger women. Here, here's the exhortation given to you. Titus chapter 2, verse number 4 and 5. That they may teach the young woman to be sober. That's the continuation for the older women. Here's the instruction. To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, 
that the Word of God... Who said amen when I said be obedient to your husbands? Wow. Someone's looking for trouble. I wasn't even going to emphasize that. But thank you anyway. No. Obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. All right? So the instruction to you. Ladies, obviously, if the older women are instructed to teach you, then it is implied here that your responsibility is to look to godly older women for instruction. Don't look to your peers for instruction. Look to women who have experienced the age and the place where you're at already. Look to the older women for instruction. He also says, and goes through a line of things here that I've, I found striking. Be sober. Love your husbands, love your children, be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient, uh, good and obedient to their own husbands. Why, why this string of things? I believe here the background of what's being taught is that as women, it's easy to look at how good things are on the other side of the fence. At your age... It's easy to look, for those of you that are unmarried, it's easy for you to look at this guy and that guy and uh, I am so in love with him and he's just the greatest and he's my future and, and you go to an emotional extreme. And then for the married, you look, I mean, after all, isn't why all these movies focus so much on relationships and how good things are? And, and if you're not careful, you begin to look at all the other people and all their relationships and these portrayed scenarios uh, through entertainment and through Hollywood, and you can begin to look over the other side of the fence for this age bracket and begin to say, things look, sure look good over there. I think my life might be easier if that was my situation. I think my home would be better off if those were my children, if, if my children behaved like their kids. If my husband acted like that man, then my home would be better. I think that's the instruction implied here. Love your husbands, love your children, and be discreet. Don't, don't go all off these emotional uh, you know, extremes. That this is better for me, and that's better for me, and this is better for me. Look at the other side of the fence, and the grass is greener over there. He gives specific instructions to you. And remember, these are not instructions just to uh, be left by the wayside. They're specific instructions that become sound doctrine. I would hate to be in this category for this one reason. The last verse in that challenge the last phrase, he gives all the instructions and he says, follow these instructions that the word of God be not blasphemed. He doesn't say that to any other category except to the young women. That the word of God be not blasphemed. I think the reason that this is said here is because you, this bracket, the young women, have the greatest influence People look at you and they see how you act, how you respond, your faithfulness, your attitude, your dedication to the Lord. You're affecting who? Your children. My wife brought up an interesting point the other day. I don't know if I shared this, but um, she, she mentioned to me, she said, you know what? You look at, she had all these numbers, and I don't remember them all, but if, 
if you were to be a faithful soul winner and you led one person to the Lord every year for 10 years, you'd have 10 people that you led to the Lord. Let's say it was 20 years, 20 people that you led to the Lord. But out of those 20 people, you'd be very hard-pressed if even 50% of those got into church. So now you're down to 10. Out of those 10 people, you'd be pretty hard-pressed if 50% of those stayed faithful and really got plugged in and became faithful members of a church, a, a reproduction of yourself. So now you're down to five. And what impressed her and what she was sharing with me was the fact that you put in 20 years of labor and you might only have really five people to really show for it. But you put in 20 years with your kids and you really invest in them and you make a difference in their lives, you almost have guaranteed fruit. If you're what you should be, if you're real, if your walk with God is real, if you're genuine. And so the, the challenge here is that the word of God be not blasphemed. It says you have the ability to make the word of God a reproach. As young women, you can destroy the testimony of Christians. Pretty stark challenge. You can be seated. Finally, the young men, 0 to 50. All right, 0 to 50, young men. All right, if you would stand up. The challenge to the young men, verse number 9 and 10. He says, exhort, um, let's see here, exhort servants... No, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong section. Verse number uh, 6 through 8, I'm sorry, verse number 6 through 8. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uh, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Here's the challenge to the young men. It's eager for you, it's easy for you to be eager and thoughtless. It comes natural to young men to just jump right into things. Not really think about the consequences, not think about the results, not think about the outcome, not think about who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect them. It's easy for you to jump right in. And his challenge to to young men is give it some thought. Don't, don't be foolish. Don't just jump right in. He says, be sober-minded. Think of what the consequences will be. Think of what the outcome will be. And again, I'm speaking to the generation of, uh, of those who will be the young parents of young children. Think about how you're affecting your family. Think about how your strong spiritual stance is affecting them. And think about how your weak spiritual stance is affecting them. Think about how you are the spiritual leader of your home and it falls on your shoulders to make sure that you're walking with God. It falls on your shoulders the responsibility of answering for your children. There's a lot of challenge in in these verses to, to the young men. He says, don't let pride destroy you. Pride is the greatest destroyer of young men. You start to think you're something. I see it in my life. I see it in the lives of the teenagers that I minister to, how pride hinders and holds you up from becoming what you should be. Don't get to thinking that you're something better than you are. Don't think that you've got talents that you just developed on your own. There's nothing that you have. What does thou have that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You've got, and anything that you've gotten in your life, you received 
and remember that. The challenge to young men is to make sure that you think. Think with wisdom. Seek counsel before you make a decision, before you date that girl, before you take that job, before you pull your family out of church, before you decide to skip a service, before you decide to not be a soul winner, before you decide to let your standards slide, before you decide that you don't need to come to Sunday morning or Sunday evening, or before you decide that Wednesday night is not relevant to you anymore, or before you decide that you're going to take a position that's going to pull you out of church, before you decide that you can skip your devotions, before you decide that you don't need to have prayer with your family or be praying for your family, family on a daily basis. It says before you decide and just jump into things and think that there are no consequences, think before you act. It's easy for young men just to jump right in. Gung-ho. And that's good about a young man. Get things done that way. But be wise. Seek counsel. He also says, make sure that you live your life so wisely that even your enemies wouldn't be able to find something to fault you with. Now we're talking about challenge. That even the people who hate you, and they may not even hate you, maybe they just hate Christ. Maybe they hate the idea of church or religion. Make sure those people wouldn't be able to come up with something to fault you with that had any grounds. They may falsely accuse you. That may happen. But make sure that they cannot come to you or one to your friends and say, did you see where he was at last week? That's why it's so important for young men to live above reproach. To make sure you're where you should be when you should be there. Not be caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no right time to be in the wrong place, by the way. All right? But make sure that your behavior, you're being wise. Think, think, think. Seek counsel, seek counsel, seek counsel. Search the Word of God. Search the Word of God. Search the Word of God. That's the challenge to young men. You can be seated. Then finally, as we move along in our passage this evening, we come to verse number 9 and 10. It says, exhort servants to be obedient. Now, here's the category of servants. Now, obviously, in today's society, we do not have servants, but are we not instructed to be servants? We are servants of God. That's our instruction as Christians. And so this passage and this portion applies to everybody in this room who seeks to be a servant of God. This is something for all of us. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. He says here to the, to the people who wish to be servants, know what your duties are and do your duties. Do what you've been given. You have tasks that you've been assigned as a servant. Don't be the unfaithful servant. Not purloining. Don't, don't waste. Don't, don't take the talents that have been given to you and, and bury them in the ground. Do something with what the Lord has given you. He says here, uh, don't waste your master's goods. The Lord has given you talents. Make sure that you use them for the Lord. He says, but showing all good fidelity. Be faithful. Be faithful to your master. Faithful is he who's called you. You need to be faithful to him. So demonstrate faithfulness. This is to all people that wish to be servants of God. That you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
Promote your master in everything that you do. Everything that you do in your life, let it be done to the glory of God. Everything, all things, promote your master. The world looks at us as his servants, as what we claim to be. And they not only associate the good things that happen in our life with our master, they associate the bad things that happen in our life with our master. And so we need to make sure that we are promoting the master, not destroying the master. The servant in those days was not to be somebody who spoke ill of his master. Oh, my, my master, he demands so much of me. He wants me to do so much. He has so many hard rules and, and it's just miserable being one of his servants in his house. No, the responsibility of the, the servant today is to, to lift up the master. It's such a pleasure to serve our master. Is it not? Is it a pleasure? Uh, I'm not convinced that you're convinced. It ought to be. Have you been faithful with what the master has given you? And so, with these instructions to these categories of people, we move on to now some instructions that are given to everybody. He breaks it down at the beginning. These are the things that become sound doctrine. He addresses the aged men, the aged women, the young women, the young men. He addresses servants. And now he begins to address things to all of the church. This is for everybody to apply in their lives. And these are some things uh, that I want us to look at. And it's going to be very brief this evening. Just three simple things to look at. And so, the thought for this evening is lessons from grace. Lessons from grace. In verse number 12, the Bible says, I'm sorry, in verse number 11, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So that's how I know right now the verses that are coming up are for all of us. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So now he's speaking to all men. All right? All mankind. Verse number 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Here is three lessons from grace. After all, it is grace that brings salvation. And as we experience grace in our lives, we ought to learn lessons from it. Grace is not an excuse not to do things for God. Grace is an excuse to become more for God. And often we use grace as an excuse to get out of things rather to get into things. And so here is grace teaching us some lessons. Some lessons. It has brought salvation and now it has some other things that it wants for you to learn. The first thing that it gives, the first lesson, is a pattern for living. A pattern for living. The pattern is simply outlined in verse number 12. Deny ungodliness. Deny ungodliness. Your flesh. After all, is that not the root of all evil? Deny ungodliness. He says, hey, there's some things that you're going to want to do, that your flesh is going to want to do, that you need to deny. And it's a lesson that you need to learn on a daily basis. Deny your flesh. Deny your flesh. You are going to think of conclusions. You're going to think of solutions to problems. And he's, he's saying, hey, the way that you think is not the way that God thinks. The things that you want to do are not healthy for you to do. Deny your flesh. Don't do what seems right for you to do. Today, 
that's what most Christians do. We do what seems right for us to do rather than following the pattern that is laid out in God's Word. I am frustrated at Christianity in my own life that brings me to the point of me doing what I want to do rather than following the pattern that the Lord lays out for me. You ever done a dot to dot? Most of us have. And a simple dot to dot that is for children, there's not very many dots. And if you miss a dot, it totally ruins the whole picture. There's not very many dots for a Christian to cross. It's a simple pattern. But often we feel as though we can leave a dot out. And we skip from corner to corner instead of going around the bend. And it produces a picture that is almost like Christ, but not quite like Christ. We feel as though we can leave out a dot and it be okay for us. That this is, I just don't feel like this is okay or, or, or that this is wrong. I, I feel in my soul and I think that it's okay and I just don't see a problem with. These are all things that we say when we're skipping a dot. Because we've come to a solution in our own mind, in our own flesh, that it's okay, I don't need to deny my flesh this time around. It's a dangerous, dangerous place for us to be at. Do you ever find yourself coming up with an excuse to ignore a principle that you know is there? You know it's there. And you know that it's, it's, it's been taught and you've seen it and you just don't simply see the importance of following it. Sometimes, I hesitate to say it this way, but I think sometimes we do it even subconsciously. We don't ever have the conversation in our minds that, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. But we just choose to ignore the principle like it never even existed. Like we hear it taught in church, but, you know, and we hear it taught in our Sunday school class, but we just, we just go on like uh, that truth was never presented. Or I just never, I just never saw it that way. And often the things that we choose to ignore are things that have to do with our separation from the world. Which brings us to this next thing where he says, deny ungodliness. But not only that, he says, deny worldly lusts. I don't think it's uh, repetitive. I don't think the Lord is saying two, two different or the same thing twice. He's saying two different things. You have to deny your flesh, and there's going to be things that look really attractive to you that you're going to want to do, but you're going to have to deny those two because they're wrong. It's not a coincidence here that he says, deny your flesh and deny the world. It's an important lesson for us to learn. Your flesh is going to want to do things, and the world's going to make it look good, but that doesn't make it good for you. Deny it. It's a pattern. He gives us a pattern in this one verse, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Soberly is to live self-governing, to demonstrate self-restraint. Righteously is to do things that conform to God's will. Coincidentally, you can't live righteously unless you know what God's will is. Right? 
Can, can I live the way God wants me to live without looking in His Word? Without following His instruction? No, I can't. That's why He gives us such instructions as 2 Timothy 2.15, to study to show thyself approved unto God. That's why He tells us in Matthew chapter 11.29, Come and learn of Me. Because He wants us to come to Him for instruction and He wants us to follow the instruction. He's laying out a pattern. He's laying out a template. And He's saying, if you'll follow this, you will become holy. If you follow this, you will grow in your walk with Me. If you follow this, you are following after My Son. It's a simple, it's a simple template. A simple pattern. It's not complicated. I remember as a young person seeing my mom get those really flimsy patterns out and she'd, she'd pull them out and she'd stretch them across the dining room table and she'd get her scissors out and she'd pin that pattern to the cloth and she would begin to follow the pattern to make whatever that picture was on the front of that envelope. And I remember seeing her make a mistake. Not completely unfolding the pattern at some point and pinning it down and cutting past a point. Or cutting over something. And when she didn't follow the pattern, the end result was not the same. And here we sit as Christians tonight, and this may not be all of us, but I think all of us have a tendency to do this. We, we take the pattern and we, we look at the picture on the front of the envelope to be like Christ. And that's our goal. And we say, I want to be like Christ. And we're as sincere as you can possibly be. We can, we're all sincere. We all look at that envelope. We look at the Word of God and we say, I want to be like Christ. Just like my mom would say, I want to follow and get the result of this template. And we sit tonight and we say, I want the result, but I don't want to follow the pattern. You're not going to get the result without following the pattern. So important. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. Live, live soberly, live righteously, live godly in this present world. You know what it means to live godly? Live in a way that's pleasing to God. Complicated, isn't it? No, it's not. Is what you do please God? When I click on the TV, does it please God? When I allow my teenager to do something, is it going to be pleasing to God? The decision that I just made, was it pleasing to God? It's not hard to ask the question. It's hard to follow through when God says, nope, that's not pleasing to me. And we have to make a change. That's where the difficulty of following the pattern comes in. Secondly, we have, first we have a pattern to follow. Secondly, this, the, the lessons from grace tonight is a purpose for leading. In verse number 14, it says, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. A purpose for leading. He redeems us. He purifies us. And as a result, we become zealous. The purpose behind becoming a leader is so that people see your zeal for God. The purpose of Christ redeeming you is for you to be zealous for God. The purpose of God purifying you throughout your life is for you to become zealous for God. 
What is zeal? What does it mean to be zealous? In your Christian life, what do you think it means to be zealous? Somebody yell out, what is zeal? Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Anybody else have another word? Energy. Energy. All right, another word. Passion. Excited. All right? And not that you're wrong, because those are all things that are partially true with zeal. But that's not truly what zeal is. After all, excitement, passion, energy... They're all results of emotions. They're all the result of emotion in your life. You get excited because of an emotional high. You, you, you show passion because of an emotion that has come through your life. You, you might have extra energy because an emotion that is running through you. But zeal is not simply just an emotion. If we had time this evening, we could look at a perfect illustration, and I'll just highlight it for you. In Matthew chapter 21, I think gives us the perfect illustration of zeal. In this story, is the, in this passage, is the story of Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem. This is the first time. It's the Passover, and this is finally he, He's coming into the city, and the people are excited. Jesus is going to make His triumphal en- entry into the city at Passover. What better time for our Messiah to take rule and reign of our world? And, and, the, and the people of that day, are they're excited. You might even say that they're zealous by our standard. They are pumped up. Here comes Jesus riding in on the donkey and they're all crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna! A form of, of worship and adoration for their, their coming King. And we would say, man... They're excited. They're throwing the palm leaves down in front of Jesus and throwing their coats on the ground. They're excited that Jesus has come to town. And we might look at that and say, that's zeal. But it's not. It's excitement. It was, it was enthusiasm. It was passion. But that's, it, he wasn't coming for what they thought he was coming for. And he wasn't as excited or pumped up as they were. True passion comes in later on in the story as Jesus gets off of that donkey and walks into the tabernacle or walks into the temple and he finds the money changers. And the Bible, there's a, there's Psalm 69 is a prophetic Psalm. And I want to, I want to read this verse for you. Psalm 69 talks about the emotion that Jesus Christ had as he walked into the temple. And, and the verse, Psalm 69 verse 9, it says, For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the reproaches of them that reproached Thee are fallen upon me. This is true zeal. Where Jesus Christ walks into the temple and he sees how people are taking God and turning it into a prophet. How people are claiming to be one thing but living a totally different life. And he comes in and he sees the fakeness. He comes in and he sees the ludicrous living style of the people that claim to be the Christians of that day. And he walks in and he says, the, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He said, I walked in there and there was something stirred within me because of my relationship with my father that completely devoured my soul. I walked into the temple and I saw how God's people were living for themselves and living for the flesh and living for what they could gain. He said, and it cut me right to the heart. And we see that Jesus' responds as he, he turns over the table and he says, you, you wicked, wicked people, you've turned my house into a den of thieves. This is zeal. 
Not because Jesus got all excited and threw over tables. Not because Jesus got all angry at the people that were in there and we love to see it and we say, yeah, go! It's zeal because it was a result of his relationship with God. Zeal only comes in a Christian's life when you are walking with God. And I've seen time and time and time again Christians trying to be zealous out of an emotion. And it brings stress and it brings strain in your life like I can't measure up and I'll never be what he wants me to be. I can't be the Christian that I'm supposed to be. I see all these people excited and you try to produce false zeal in your life out of your flesh. But zeal only comes when you really walk with God. You can only have zeal in your life when you're walking with God and when you're close with Him. And that's what happened with Jesus as He walked in that temple. He said, it just it, it ate me up. From the inside out, it ate me up. You know how I, don't, I know we don't have zeal today? Because zeal is something that's consistent and constant. Every time there was sin in the room or sin present, it ate up Christ. He was passionate about correcting it and addressing it and fixing the situation, was he not? Yes, every single time. It wasn't an up and a down, up, down. It wasn't sometimes he was hot and sometimes he was cold. He was constant and consistent. And the reason I know that our zeal today is based on an emotion is because we're Christians like this. We're good sometimes and then the next time we're in the valley. Sometimes we're doing okay, but the next day we're in depression. One day we're gung-ho about soul winning and the next Saturday we can't get our carcass out of our beds. That's how I know. It's not really zeal. It's so important. This is the purpose for leading. This is the reason that Christ has redeemed you. This is the reason that He wants to purify you. That you will have zeal. And when you have zeal, people see it. And you let your light shine. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Zeal, so important. Finally, not only do we see the pattern to follow, the purpose for leading, but we see a promise worth trusting. And again, i close with this point and just want to point this one thing out. In verse number 13 it says, Looking for that blessed hope, that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. One day He's coming. He's returning. He's given us a pattern to follow. He's given us a purpose for leading. And He's given us a promise worth trusting. That is not pointless. Your Christianity is not a waste. Waking up tomorrow morning and opening the Word of God is not a waste, Joaquin. It's worth doing. Brother Green, training your children to follow in the way that God is will not produce failure. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, they will not depart from it. Being faithful in your soul winning, Dean, it's not a pointless thing. It's not mundane activity to come out on Saturday morning just to fulfill a quota. That's not the purpose of it. One day he's coming back. 
The separation teenager that you have to go through standing up to your friends at school and and telling them, no, I'm not going to look at that picture on your phone and saying, no, I'm not going to participate in that conversation. And maybe young person, I don't know who you are. The the difficulty that you may be experiencing in living a separated Christian life as a young person is not a pointless thing because he's coming back. It's a blessed hope. It's something to look forward to. And whether you're the aged man or the aged woman or the young man and the young woman, he gives a challenge to all of us tonight. And he says, hey, there's a blessed hope. There's a blessed hope and there's a glorious coming. There's there's coming the day when Jesus will return. And it's going to be worth it all. It'll be worth it all. I've given you the pattern. Just follow. Trust me on this. Just follow. It'll produce good results. And as you follow this pattern, I'm going to give you a purpose. The purpose is to live with zeal. Remember, this challenge is not just to the young person, to the young man who is eager to jump in. The zeal is a challenge given to every age bracket. Young and old, it doesn't matter. Your zeal is not dependent on your physical strength. It's not dependent on your ability. It's not dependent on your talents. Your zeal is directly proportional to your walk with God. Bottom line, want more zeal? Walk closer with God. Don't care about zeal? Don't walk with God. And people will know you by your fruits. People will know when you're this, where your walk with God is. People will know when you're this, they're walking with God. See it in their lives. Can see the fruit. I see their faithfulness. There is a blessed hope. And I know it's easy. At 29 years old, it's easy for me. Some mornings, as an assistant pastor at a church, doing this for almost eight years, serving full-time in the ministry, for me sometimes it's easy to wake up in the morning and say, you know what? (sighs) Do I really want to do this today? It's difficult. There are That's why he challenged us to deny our flesh, to deny worldly lust, because we're still going to fight the battles. (laughs) doesn't matter where you're at, where your zeal is at, there's still going to be battles. And you're going to have to fight them. But he says, "I'm I'm I'm not just leaving you with a pattern and work to do. I'm not just leaving you with a challenge to be zealous because of that pattern that you're following. He's saying, hey, there's something to look forward to in all of this. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, There's always the blessed hope. There is always the blessed hope. I hope that's encouraging to you tonight. To know that there is always the blessed hope. It doesn't matter how tough it's getting in your marriage. There is always the blessed hope. It doesn't matter how wayward your children are becoming. There is always the blessed hope. It doesn't matter how deep the valley is you're in right now. There is always the blessed hope. It doesn't matter how difficult the trial. There is always the blessed hope. It's always there. Look to it. Claim the promise. Follow the pattern. It'll produce zeal in your life. If you'd go ahead and stand with me this evening. Follow Lord, we do thank